Welcome to the House of Cards podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for House of Cards on Netflix. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we have a kind of special episode, an episode that should have happened a long time ago. We have some, we have some uh, good news and bad news. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to sit Johnny and Sarah down <laughs> and we're going <laughs> to tell them the bad news. The full podcast of House of Cards went to go live on a farm. <laughs> they were so happy chasing rabbits. Uh, yeah. I've never seen them happier. The reality is, uh, we said we were going to do full podcasts, and we mm-hmm. didn't. And longer it take, the more and more emails we got, and the further we got away, the more we we're like, "There's no way we could do full podcasts at this point and be relevant and make more than like a dozen people happy." So, what we did decide to do, we couldn't just leave, you know, uh, a, a spot in the the catalog unfulfilled because the last thing people hear are like, "Stay tuned for the full episode." So we're yeah. capping that shit. We are stimming, we are tying off the artery, we're cauterizing that wound, we are stimming the blood flow with this final wrap-up Season 2 podcast. We've got a ton of feedback over the last weeks and months and half year since we went off the air (laughs) on this thing, and uh, it was a shame to let it all go to waste, so we just kind of want to do a little quick roundup and then uh, talk about the structure of the podcast moving forward for next year towards the end because we got a, a lot of feedback on that some will read some we won't anything you want to say up front before we dig into this motherfucker uh well it's been six months since i've seen the thing so i don't remember a ton about it i do remember kind of the main plot arcs uh but the details i'm a little fuzzy on i i do hope we don't sound like bigger idiots than usual revisiting this material. yeah because you like, got people oh, remember when tusk says no 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 <laughs> i don't remember when tusk says anything uh i i do feel like that uh yeah that's always a danger when you're talking to someone that's emailing something that happened five minutes ago yeah and asking us a question six months in the future so that's our own fault sure. um we'll try to do better next time First off, uh, for the first episode, Chapter 14, Season 2, Episode 1, Michael P. says, Do you think Frank was just trying to wake Zoe up from unconstructed dream space? (laughs) It's possible, and that would put an interesting spin on the events of of the episode and and the series going forward. Whose dream is this? Claire's. Claire's dream? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Um, If it was Walker's dream, it'd probably be a nightmare. It's it's Meacham's. (laughs) It's actually Meacham's, and whether it okay. became a dream or a nightmare at the end is, is open for interpretation. And how hot and sexy you think uh... <laughs> Claire Underwood is. Yeah. Cla- no, I was thinking, yeah. Or Frank Underwood, for Or that Frank. Matter. I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm very sexually attracted to Robin Wright. Sure. Not very She's sexually attracted woman. to Kevin Spacey. Do you split the middle? Well, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was in the middle, and they split him, honestly. <laughs> Moving on to Chapter 15, some serious takes. This is a, uh, I feel like Casey Kasem going into a goddamn death dedication off an upbeat tempo track. Okay. Uh, Anonymous writes in, Hi, in your instant take for uh, the podcast for Chapter 15, which is episode or Season 2, Episode 2, mm-hmm. you talked about how you thought it was odd that Claire wouldn't want to avenge her own rape. This particular storyline I can relate to pretty well. When I was a high school freshman, I was raped by one of my high school seniors who was very well-liked and very accomplished. I've only told a few people about it, but whenever I do someone, uh, whenever I do tell someone, the first thing they ask is, why didn't you tell the police? They used to make me, this used to make me upset because I already thought it was my fault and this had happened to me and now it's my fault that I didn't tell anyone. But after something like this had happened, the last thing I want to do is draw attention to it because it's very embarrassing. Going through a court ordeal would have been more embarrassing and emotionally taxing than the rape itself. I might have found its way it might have found its way out at school and then everyone would be talking about it. My parents would have found out and that I might have to face my rapist again. There's also the fear if you do report it, the person may deny it happened and they will end up wa- uh, walking and you'd have relived your trauma for nothing. Funny enough, five years later, and my rapist is now a politician, and I've met one other girl that I know was raped by him. So in the long term, it probably would have been better if I'd reported, but I needed to just get on with my life and deal with it on my own terms. At the time that it happened, it seemed like the only outcome of reporting would be to make it worse. And now that I have some dirt on him, if he ever becomes VP, ha ha. Just kidding. <laughs> um, that wow. is an excellent point. I feel like a jackass for not acknowledging it. One of the reasons we probably need more of a female presence <laughs> on the podcast. Um. This is not an isolated and, – and that's one of the things where people um, – you know, the, the, the rape gets to be a hot topic, obviously. 
Um, and, you know, people talk about false accusations. I feel like that by far you got the majority of people that are just not reporting it for these very reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough thing to prove, certainly. I know a girl in high school who was 16 was raped by a senior, did go to the police, the mm-hmm. small town that I grew up in's police, and they, the police officer investigating was a 50-year-old dude who basically said, come on, sweetheart, did did he really rape you? Or is this, you know, you got sure. a little carried away and now your parents found out and it's just ex- really gross. And you can imagine how that would yeah. go over um, in, in someone with such, such a, a gross power imbalance. I can't cast any blame for how anyone deals with the stuff. And I don't feel like anyone owes it to anybody to do anything when it comes down to you being sure. victimized. I, and I'm, I mean, that, seems perfectly reasonable to me that you don't want to relive that again. Yeah. And you'd be forced to with the the potential outcome being that you just had to relive it again. Right. And it's so I feel I like understand. It's interesting because, you know, as we know later in the episode the series, uh it went to explore a lot of these issues, you know, because this uh, happened to another girl mm-hmm. and you know Claire goes through some of these emotions as as much as a person like Claire would do. Um and I I thought that was one of the the whole Claire Underwood plot line was one of the highlights of the season for me. Yeah, and definitely. Arguably, the character went through the most growth. Um, anything else you want to say? Uh, no. One more take on this again from a woman. Rachel in Hawaii said, "At the end of your instant take in chapter fifteen, you speculated on why Claire, who had no problems being ruthless to others, would crumble at the sight of a rapist and acquiesce to his award." In a way, I think you guys answered your own question much earlier in the cast when you discussed if Frank and Claire have a penchant for power. As you pointed out, these are both people who prize power over money. For them, power is everything. Rape is the ultimate disempowering experience. This man puts Claire in a position where, despite all her fighting and will, she was stripped of that power. This event in her life represents Claire at her most vulnerable and least powerful self. That pain can last a lifetime, and it's not surprising that she reverts back to that emotional state when she's directly confronted with that man again. If memory serves me right, and I could be wrong because I just watched three episodes in a row, he even kisses her cheek when he introduces himself to her table. No wonder she doesn't want to deal with this situation at the moment. She's in a public place and in one of the most public careers of her life. I think if anything, she, if she seeks out any sort of revenge on the guy, it's going to be the kind of quiet, slow burn that she and Frank mastered in season one. And we'll see it later on the show, which is a prescient take. Um, do you have anything <laughs> to add to that one as well? Because I thought that was another good take. Yeah, it is, and I don't think I have anything to add. Episode 17, which, oh God, I'm going to have to do math, is... Four? Yeah, season two, episode (laughs) four. Adam S. has the following two comments on episode. Claire's interview, speaking of revenge, was very well done. I went from being a bit bored during the fluffy how-did-you-meet stuff to on the edge of my seat uncomfortable during the potentially career-destroying abortion discussion, Mm -hmm. then to amaze when Claire turned it around to a PR victory. Two, I love how the show has got me to a place where I believe that Frank is capable of anything. I fully expected to find out that the anthrax scare was orchestrated by him as a plot to win the <laughs> votes he needed. Uh, that's a, a, excellent points on all. Mm-hmm. We've already talked quite a bit uh, about the Claire angle. I, I can't remember if we talked about that on the podcast or not, whether the idea that he actually did this anthrax stuff as a way to get the super liberal guy in his office to work him. I feel like one of us brought that up, but again, it's been six months. And so. <laughs> I, I couldn't even swear in a stack of Bibles that that actually wasn't found out later to be true. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I think Doug Stamper, as he was dying, said, <laughs> it was Frank, the anthrax, Frank. I planted the powder. <laughs> uh, Scott Dub and Cincy, shout out from the Queen City. House of Cards reminds me a lot of Homeland with a ton of WTF moments. The thing that redeems House of Cards is the speed and complexity of the plot, or or how the plot turns, unlike Homeland, which I gave up on. Hmm. First bullet point, he has a bunch of WTFs. Uh, WTF is with allowing a former meth head and hooker babysit your kids. I think that church needs to consider background checks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Churches, although I, I got to say that they're a lot about forgive this man. If they you're are. If you're a person that looks like, is Rachel, right? Yeah, I think that's her name. person that looks like Rachel, you show up and you want to do good, they're going to let you do good. Probably, yeah. I'm just saying. WTF is with Frank's love of ribs making Walt Jr.'s love of pancakes look healthy. 
Have you tried Freddy's ribs? Yeah, yeah. Come on, to those, be fair. Those ribs are pretty fucking good. Uh, WTF is with Frank's over-the-top obsession with the Civil War. Before that dude made up shit about Frank's great-grandfather, he couldn't have cared less. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I can't remember how all that plays out. He gets uh, into the very painting weird, miniatures and reassembling the battlefield. and Sure, I mean, I... You know, Frank is a very meticulous guy. I know we talked about this uh, and how it relates to his personality and just is a reflection of him moving pieces around in his political career and his life. Sure. Uh, just doing it as a hobby as well. Mm. It did. I did feel like that did a little bit come out of nowhere, you know, that he had this much passion for yeah. his history. And, you know, when he's so dismissive of his own father's accomplishments and all that. Uh, what the fuck was with Stamper getting all rapey with Rachel? We need a little bit more character development to feel anything but creeped out by this. Do, what is the deal with Stamper? He's got what is the reverse, uh, the reverse captive uh, Stockholm effect? Uh, what, is, the, what is the reverse? Uh, wasn't it the Lima syndrome? I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's what he's got. Mm. He falls in love with his captive. Or what, what's uh, the capital of Chile? Bogota? No, I think it's Lima. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's whatever, but yeah. Sure. But the, also, he just, he's got that weird relationship with his mother and how he liked to be read to like a child, and mm, there's a lot yeah. of, you know, arrested development to this guy, even yeah. even as he's, he's, he's capable of these kind of casual acts of political violence and real-life violence, mm -hmm. yet he's also capable of being shocked by some of the shit that Fred, or, uh, Frank gets up to. Yeah. Interesting yeah. cat that we're never going to be able to unravel at this point further. Nope, he's done. He got bricked. Yep. Uh, what the fuck is with letting Rachel live? If the vice president is going to kill a White House correspondent, U.S. congressman, uh, wouldn't it make a shitload of sense to just off the hooker that could expose it all in the first place? I suppose it's too late now. Um, I feel like that maybe Frank wanted him to do that, that he was pushing for him, but Stamper just had too much loyalty to Rachel. He was getting in the way of his judgment. Yeah, I think so. Doug kind of fell out of favor with Frank near the end of that season um, when when the other dude kind of moved in and uh, well, started kept him on his toes, And then Frank got increasingly mad about some of these loose ends. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, and what the fuck is up with Kevin Spacey's girly baseball arm? We <laughs> we talked about that. At we length. talked about that at length. It's <laughs> one of the most embarrassing. And I liked how they actually made it into a plot point because at first yeah, I thought yeah, it's yeah. like, holy shit, this guy just can't throw a fucking baseball. But they they used it. So hey. I wonder. I'd like to see Kevin Spacey's real pitch. <laughs> see if he can actually throw. He's got I, an arm like a cannon. I feel like that's the thing. Like it was written to be a conventional, just throw the you know he's going to get to throw the ball out, and then they actually got a couple takes of him throwing it. Like oh. cut, cut, cut. No, but Kevin, have you ever thrown a ball in your life? Are you throwing with your <laughs> offhand? And then they're just like, oh shit, we're gonna have to workshop this. Yeah, maybe. He continues, can you imagine how the country would react if the vice president resigned, someone else was appointed, then a few months later the president resigned, especially when the Underwood played a public key role in the vice president's resignation? Mm -hmm. The media would explode. People would be calling it a coup, and rightfully so. There would be calls for constitutional convention. If this isn't the central theme of season three, it will be a false representation. Why wouldn't the vice president and the president both have been impeached? Given the connection between Frank and the Chinese money laundry scheme, they had video of Stamper in a casino, etc., it seems like the order of the day would be throwing Frank out of office next. I can already hear Rush and Hannity now. I, I think, to, to answer the question as to why they didn't throw Frank out of office as well or force him to resign, I think that's on the back of Tusk, right? Like, Tusk implicated the president very heavily in his confession or whatever. Right. Uh I think he put all the blame on the president, and so Frank was kind of off the hook for that stuff. Still, mostly you've. But you're so, right about the the president and the vice president both resigning within the matter of a year, and because technically that's what should happen. But you've got like in the angle in the press, I'm thinking is, you know, you've got this person that no one elected to anything, wasn't even on the ticket. Sure, and suddenly he is. Not he's the president. Yeah, I mean that would seem pretty fishy. 
He continues between that and all the murders, the threesomes, the backstabbing, etc. There's absolutely no way he'd make it through the next general election. All of Frank's allies would turn in a heartbeat, and maybe that's the titular house of cards in a nutshell. Could be. We're going to talk about more of that later because we got some feedback on that, but uh, about how season three will will turn out. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll continue with Elizabeth G's point. Claire screwed Adam over because we wondered about. Um, you know, a lot of her feelings and hostility towards him. Yeah. She believes Claire screwed Adam over because she was pissed that he moved on so quickly. He not only quote unquote met someone, mm-hmm. but the girl's living with him and they're engaged. I think that's part of it. Definitely. Uh, you, you, I don't know. Did, did Claire feel like a jilted lover? Because I feel like she kind of casually threw Adam away as she a did, but non-serious fling. I, I think it's, a little bit of hypocrisy on her part because she did. She threw him away. She was like, "Meh, I got, I got some other shit I got to do." Similar and to the then way Frank she turns treated... around and does the exact like gets all huffy when he does the same thing with her. Similar to the way, to, the way Frank was more than happy to use, abuse, and cast away Zoe, but yes. whenever Zoe showed some sexual agency of her own and relational agent, it's yeah. all suddenly he got huffy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of trend there. Um, she continues, there seemed to be real affection between Frank and Claire during the conversation about Meacham catching Frank watching porn. Talked about the grooming there. My take on that is these are pretty sexual people. I mean, it had been a while since they'd been sexual together. Okay. So there was this kind of like, um, a rekindling of that energy between them now when you added Meacham. (laughs) As the, uh, I don't know what you put a Meacham in the mix. You put a Meacham in the middle? Uh, the, the meat in the sandwich. The (laughs) The Meacham in the sandwich, yeah. It's just funny how Meacham is effectively acting like a glory hole for this couple. Sure. (laughs) Is is that, is that an indelicate (laughs) way to put it? Of course, but we'll move on. Yep. Another podcast, oh my God, Elizabeth G is podcast cheating on us, Jim. Who is this fucking podcast? It's one thing for us to be promiscuous, but you? We're going to get that podcast impeached. (laughs) I'm going to throw it off into a train track. <laughs> Brick it in the head. Another podcast mentioned the intimacy of the cufflinks as a gift. And if you actually, she's probably talking about our podcast. <laughs> take, we take it all back. No, no, no. We don't take any of it back. All right. Um, <laughs> you're cheating on us with us? What the fuck? <laughs> Possibly meaning literally what Meacham wanted to do to Frank. Uh, I didn't pick up on that, but I did notice a vibe on the terrace when F and C, Frank and Claire, were talking with Meacham. One of you mentioned that. Uh, Frank and Claire were grooming Meacham, and you were right. I've watched about half of the BBC version of House of Cards, and even though the female reporter was also killed, she being pushed off the roof in that series, I was hmm. still very surprised and happy when Zoe was Zoe was pushed in front of the train. I want to believe that Doug Stamper somehow and some way survived those blows <laughs> to the head, but I know that's just wishful thinking. Didn't they find him like three days later in the woods? And uh, I don't know. It'd be fun if he came back Christopher Pike style. He's in a wheelchair, <laughs> and he can just blink lights to say yes or no. I I'm fairly certain that he's dead, and I think they showed us in no uncertain terms that he is dead. I do. I feel like that there was not like exactly worms coming out of him soon, yeah. but uh, like no, that's a dead that's a dead stamper. That's that's way yeah. too pallid. Like maybe they showed him the next morning. Yeah, waking not waking up. Yeah, <laughs> in a pile yeah. of leaves. Yeah. Oh, it's stamper. He's gonna wake. No, no, no. Unless this is Walking Dead, <laughs> Walking House of Cards. Uh, Lewis R. on the subject of food waste. So far in the series, we've had a $40,000 bottle of scotch, $5,000 a glass uh, broken, and now a $200 per pound Kobe beefsteak thrown to a dog. <laughs> it's a travesty. Uh, as long as uh, we don't see a plate of Freddy's ribs go into the yeah, trash. Well, the whole restaurant went into the trash. <laughs> That's so. true. I don't know that there are any ribs left. It's fitting that his last act was to cook all the remaining ribs. Did he? Yeah, he, he torched that place. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Jeremy B. from Ypsilanti, Michigan, he said, We wondered what the male counterpart to the peachoid vagina slash anus water tower from season one, episode three. <laughs> Gentlemen, taking an eyeful of the penis water tower of Ypsilanti, Michigan, mm-hmm. he enclosed a link to uh, a Wikipedia article and... I got to say, the, the thing that separates this from the peachoid is this needs the clef. This needs the, the head clef. If it's, yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. going for the fully uncircumcised penis in all its glory. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that is a thick <laughs> shaft and a mushroom tip head <laughs> it for needs, days. It it's needs like, like water pipes curving up the, <laughs> the sides of it. <laughs> it needs two geodesic... 
backup water sure. water domes, Epcot Center domes at the yeah. base of it. I think but you're right. No, that's it. That's it. I'm looking at a dick jutting out of this campus. <laughs> uh, I will include this in the show notes in case you want to get the your peach your peachoid. I want to know whose bust is out in front of it. Yeah, like who's who pr- is that? Who's, who's proud? Uh-huh. Proud to stand in the shadow of like the would dick. Frank Underwood put his name on this like he did the library. <laughs> <laughs> what for? Where where at the same time every day the shadow of a mighty phallus falls across <laughs> his face, makes him look regal and senatorial. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but that's uh, that's amazing, and they're proud of. It. Look at the flags. Yeah, they are. It's festooned. <laughs> um, okay, he says I'm an alumni of Eastern Michigan University, where this building resides. We lovingly call it a penis tower because, well, look at it. <laughs> Imagine the icebreaker and segue possibilities. No better way to strike up an immediately sexual conversation with a hot twenty or something than to triangulate one's whereabouts in relation to the penis tower. Apparently, this won a contest that I never knew existed of the world's most phallic-looking building. <laughs> uh, and he did. It's, I didn't it, know that existed either. Yeah, there's a Wikipedia article called The Most Phallic Building Contest, and it won. Wow. So, because I'm plowing for your two... Only s- until I'm done with my penis power. <laughs> then we'll see about that record. Um, well, you got, you know, it's, it's got to be fitting the, you know, it's got to be fit the original, right? So you got to mm-hmm. erect a mighty, mighty facade indeed. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm plowing through the two seasons of your house of cards into takes like Frank and Meacham plowing through Claire. Then like Meacham through Frank with Claire being the best supporting <laughs> actress for the finale. Yep. That's the one. Um, that, 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 I, that email didn't start on the rails, but it flew off whatever rail it happened to be on towards the end. Mm-hmm. Moving on, Ben A. said, Hey, guys, just finished listening to your sterling work on the House of Cards. I had a marathon 13-episode sit on the instant take. And one thing occurs to me, at no point did you mention the book on which the show is based or the original TV show from the early 90s that inspired this version. I do feel like we talked about that in season one. But you got to – we did these marathons like back-to-back, week-in-the-weekend. So it felt to us like if we kept – talking about the original series, which I wasn't a fan of. I watched a first episode or two and I just couldn't get, I couldn't get over how dated it was. It's standard def. It's four, three. And it just looks like, you know, you popped in a VHS tape from the eighties and started watching it. Hmm. And I'm an auto video whore. I can't get, I can't get past that. Yeah. I've never seen it and I've never read the book. So, uh, he says, if you had seen this then some of the plot points and direction to show would have been a lot clearer, although maybe this would have spoiled things somewhat. The path is somewhat different and the politics are, of course, very different. But the outcome is the same. And Fincher and Spacey even use chunks of dialogue from the British show. For example, the classic monologue from Frank at the end of episode one of season two. Did you think I'd forgotten you uh, towards the audience? The new British show, or I'm sorry, the Brit show had Francis becoming prime minister at the end of the first season and then destroying the monarchy in the second this follows suit and Francis becoming vice president and then president. Does it? Like, I guess I'm not up on my constitutional monarchy, but I thought the monarchy was just kind of like the Spuds McKenzie of government. They're just a mascot. Yeah, yeah. They're the Taco Bell Chihuahuas of government. They get like an allowance, and that's yeah. They like... they they have a lot of land. They wear some funny hats. Mm-hmm. I guess they could take over the military if they. That's like supposed to be like one of their constitutional checks. If the prime minister orders his goons to round up, the queen can be like, "Not on my watch!" and get her scepter out, and all the loyal troops from <laughs> all the dominions would come and oust him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a spoiler for for the British version. No, it's a spoiler for the American version. <laughs> yes, the Next Queen season, says, yeah. we've let you run roughshod for 200-some years. Enough! Yep. It's a failed experiment. She just ends America. Yep. It's a failed uh, experiment. The HMS Invincible comes over, just whomps <laughs> her ass in. Sure. Frank is powerless to stop it. Um, uh, let's see, as since this is where the British show left us, it's clear that we're now going to be in patchier waters without the source material to borrow from. And it worries me that your take on the end of the whole thing with Francis being taken down might be the route they take. But this is absolutely the wrong way to end this, as this is not a show about Mm. good guys coming out on top. This is a socialist rant on the demons that occupy the corridors of power and having our enigmatic frontman being lofted off his perch sounds like the quote-unquote American thing to do, but come on, do we really want to see this man lose? Regardless of his actions, this man has seen has had so much style and intelligence with the way he goes about things, 
Seeing someone out joust this guy seems implausible and totally out of character, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. I really hope that the writers figure out that in this type of world, the good guy doesn't need to win, just the guy at the best lines. Spacey was fantastic, but watched a British show with the Ian Richardson. This demon cuts an evil figure over the halls of Westminster, and the understated and unspoken relationship between him and his puppeteer, in parentheses, his wife, clearly implies that these two have had a plan from the moment they met. Watch the silent interchanges between Claire and Frank in the U.S. version, and it almost makes sense that everything has been part of a greater plan, and the Civil War soldiers are a clue that this is the Grand Master Chess, and there can be only winner, whatever the cost. Can be only one winner, whatever the cost. Okay. I like to discuss this at length, because you and I are of the opinion that Season 3 is going to be the downfall of the House of Underwood. Yeah, yeah, that would, like he says, that would be the idealistic way to go. But would it? What if, because we've gotten to know some of these other less competent versions of Frank. They're just as amoral. They're just as power hungry. They're just not as good. Mm-hmm. What if it turns out that he's taken down because he did cut corners to his rise to power? I mean, anytime you have to murder people, uh, it's hard to murder your way into something to have that be st- stable, especially when you We've lose. We've tried it. The podcasting <laughs> game, it, there's a long list of murders. David Chin continues to suck oxygen despite our best efforts. <laughs> um, no, I, I feel like that it would be one dark ending is Frank Underwood, which he's an evil guy, but we kind of like the bastard, mm-hmm. taken down, and then he's replaced by people we know are really cut from the same cloth or just less competent. Hmm. Some of these buffoons that he's jousted with over the years yeah. are going to be the new, the, the the next ones. We could see the next generation of corruption. Same as now the American people think, oh, yeah, something was done, but nothing really is. That is also a very American way to end things. It's the institution, it's, it's not, not the people. But it's not idealistic, right? It's you can say, you know, we're going to go the realistic route where none of this shit really ever gets resolved and and taken care of to the satisfaction of the public. Or you can say uh, we're going to go the idealistic way where the guy who's clearly screwing up the country for his own means is taken down. So why do you think that they're going to have a happy ending? Um, or, okay, go ahead and answer I, that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to see the, the glorification of what Frank is doing. Cause that, that implies some sort of acceptance on the part of, you know, everyone, myself Does included. It? Really? A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this I, is, anytime this is the... you glorify anything that is obviously not, good so that's a breaking bad argument as long as as long sure. as you know and i'm not going to spoil it but there is an argument that it's like I, i'll be happy with any ending as long as walt gets his whatever that is sure because the unspoken thing is that if if, if a character avoids the uh the karmic retribution for what they've mm-hmm. done then that's somehow a tacit endorsement of their lifestyle yeah but i don't know i mean is it because is Frank a happy person? I watched a shitty movie this weekend called Stolen. Okay. With Nicolas Cage starring as... Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was redundant already. I said shitty and Nicolas Cage. Uh, it, he plays a bank robber. Okay. Um, but he's also the protagonist. Okay. And you want him to... Like, he's only the protagonist because the antagonist has done something much worse to him personally... Uh, and and the bank robbery is kind of a faceless, victimless crime almost. Mm. Um, the the antagonist stole his daughter and okay. is using her as ransom, whatever. So it's kind of the Sin City where so you've you're got glorifying awful... this bank robber sure. in contrast to everyone else around him. And mm-hmm. I feel like that would be roughly the same thing they'd be doing with Frank Underwood with everyone else around him. Could they have like a Godfather ending where he does win everything, but it's like uneasy rest the crown, you know, that he's ruined his hmm. own life to achieve a goal. And now as long as they they because we don't know what Frank is really wanting to do. He's accumulating power for its own sake. What is he going to do with it? Because if you don't do anything lasting, then what sure. difference does it make? Yeah. I mean, he's got his name on a library. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think he did. As that long as they show anyone. us that the consequences are a problem for him. 
So you don't want just him I did, winning. I, yeah, I don't just want to see him win. I don't feel like Cuz that was my other question. Outcome. My other question was what if what if they just make it just a Empire Strikes Back that never has Return of the Jedi? <laughs> it's just him just sitting in the throne room just getting shit on left the and right. Second Death Star's finalized construction, rebellion swept aside. We have a second monarchy in America. Hmm. I don't like it. Hmm. I don't know. I think because we talked about precast when we were having lunch, like what is an artistically valid choice? And I feel they're like they're all valid artistically, certainly. But you know, so you're. I'm surprised to hear you're so against the quote unquote good. I just the, have the an Kevin instinctive backlash f- against it. The Frank I Underwood triumphant, rather. I don't want it to say that this guy got away with it, and that's okay. Maybe he gets away with it, but what would that? It's what, not okay. What do you mean? It's it's okay. That's fine because I don't feel like you can get away. Th- these things will be okay. Mm. Like that would be an interesting choice to be like. He's got to like I mean, lose like Claire or something. It'd be pro murder and government. You know, like that would no, be no, funny he, if he was actually the best president we've had in living memory. <laughs> oh, jeez. But he had to con and lie and murder his way there. Yeah, like he gets, you know, gay marriage, done. Uh, we're going to deal with uh, Social Security, fixed. Universal health care, yeah. done. Like everything, just like he's just gangbusters, New Deal type 2 type president. Ends the, the war on drugs. Yep. Crime's never been lower. Our foreign policy, <laughs> the world loves us. We get out of all the war. That would be kind of interesting, too, that you need some kind of crazy-ass, power-wielding Machiavellian it's fine with me if he wins uh, in his political games, but he's got to lose something very important to him, other than the House of Ribs. I mean, I know <laughs> that was pretty important. That was a blow, he's, sure. He's got to lose Claire. He's got to lose Meacham at this point. Yeah, I definitely feel like Meacham is dead meat for next season. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you, something else we talked about in a quote or uh, lunch is you had a quote from President Obama. Yeah, Obama that watched. He had seen. He marathoned and listened to our podcast. Big uh-huh. fan. Yeah, I, as far as like the exact quote, I don't know, but yeah, he was basically it. saying, uh, yeah, the guy's methods are a little wrong, but hell, he's effective. Like, I wish I could be that effective. It's funny because I fully believe that government is this ruthless and this underhanded and kind of skullduggery. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's just not effective. Sure. So it'd be interesting to see a president, a presidential um, reign – uh, or tenure that has the kind of ruthless rise to power that also was effective. He actually mm-hmm. got shit done. So I don't know. Uh, that's that's. I feel like we've discussed that a a good bit. Yeah. I think Moving so. on to Lindsay from Oregon said, "I thought this season was absolutely fantastic. From the acting to the dialogue to the themes to the filmmaking, this show was top tier. Kevin Spacey was magnificent, and I thought some of his scenes were at Brian Cranston and Walter White levels." You can tell he really does enjoy playing this charming, diabolical character that is Francis Underwood. Robin Wright was equally commanding as Spacey. I loved how you guys said Claire was the Skyler that Walter White deserved. I loved how the writers flushed out her character even more this season. I feel that to many of the show's cast... Uh, wait, I feel that too many show's casts and Wright, the lead character's wife, as this bleak, obvious fool. Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, to name a few... Claire is a strong, well-written female character and an equal force to be reckoned with. I hope other shows take note. I also thought the writing and plot structure of the second season was very strong, minus a few false notes. I thought killing off Zoe in the first episode was epic, and I surprisingly didn't feel the show suffered too bad from her character's absence, other than Lucas. <laughs> I wish they would have written Lucas's character out way sooner. I agree mm. with you guys that his story is by far the worst of the season, and maybe even the series thus far. Lucas was a boring one-note character, which is a shame given the House of Cards world is chock full of interesting and complex characters. Why the writers decided to give Lucas more screen time is beyond me. I wish they would have done or used the hammer and Janie more in place of Lucas's 007 debacle. I hope we never hear or see from his character again. I also felt like some of the plot points worked out a little too well for Francis. Things were a bit too neat to be even remotely believable. One being how quickly the tusk, Tuskless Raymond and the presidential, president's relationships uh, uh, was destroyed. They were friends for 20 years. In the span of a few episodes, they were all of a sudden fierce enemies. Hmm. I also felt the relationship between Jackie and Remy was a little awkward as it seemed forced by the writers. I felt like the only reason they were together was so that the writers could neutralize Remy in the final moments and give Frank a victory. 
I hope next season they develop this relationship because I think it can mirror the powerful relationship of Frank and Claire's only minus the awkward three ways. I also love the theme of this season and really the series, which is money versus power. Throw that theme in with the idiom of House of Cards itself, and it really encapsulates the imagery of the fragility of money and power. We've seen several people and characters toppled over the pursuit of more money and power. Russo, Zoe, the Tuskless Raymond, President Walker, Freddie, and the countless others that Francis still had cake to the bottom of his shoe. While compelling cases can be made for both money versus power, I think that ultimately money is the only form of power. I think manipulation, ruthlessness, fear, knowledge, admiration, and rewards are other forms. And I also think it's one thing that, or I also think one thing for sure is that Francis Underwood is a master of them all. So let's, let's, uh, she asks, uh, she propounds us with a bunch of questions at the end, but let's go back and talk about some of these things here. First of all, uh, about this being top tier show. Do you agree that statement or not? I agree. And I think it's reflected in the Emmy nominations. Both of them got nods. It's hard for me to cite the Emmy as evidence of anything, but I agree. In fact, I still think this su- this show suffers from some kind of weird axe grinding on the part of professional critics hmm. that I when you know, we were talking about this again at lunch, where uh, that you read some of these these reviews like James Poniewozik's, and it's hard to d- d- escape the fact that I feel like some of these guys are watching like this on background. You know, okay. they've got one eye on that, one eye on whatever else they're supposed to be doing because it's inconvenient to them. Mm-hmm. Having to watch, even if they get a four episode screener, having to watch eight uh, or nine more episodes of television in a very very short turnaround time fucks up the rest of their schedule. Yeah. Do you feel like that is certainly the case? Because I can't understand why it gets so much, like, everyone mentioned, like, oh, it's a travesty that, you know, this was mentioned as best drama, and and that Kevin Spacey's ham-fisted acting got an Emmy for the the lead character, and I, I don't know, I feel that's unwarranted. I do, too, especially when you look at kind of the, the middle of season two. I know the, the critics are a lot of times basing the reactions off the first like four or so that they got uh, screeners. So maybe they just haven't got to the parts that really make this show worthwhile because a lot of that is set up at the beginning. Sure. It doesn't pay off. Like all of Claire's stuff really pays off in the middle of season two. Mm. Um, and I just think she did a hell of a job on that. And I think Kevin Spacey, it might be a little easy for Kevin Spacey to play this character, I think. Hmm. And maybe people aren't giving enough credit because it just seems so effortless on his part. It does. Like, even the way he speaks, it just flows. Yeah. But that's part of what makes him a perfect fit for this character. And and why it's such a great performance. Because it is. It looks effortless. It looks like he is that character. That's good casting. That's good acting, you're gonna, yeah. You're going to penalize him because he's essentially <laughs> born to play this part? Because he's not pushing his range? What? Who cares if he's doing an excellent job at the, the way the character is supposed to be? Yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason why he's not getting as much credit as he should. Um, What did you think? I mean, obviously we talked about Lucas and how we did not like Lucas at all. Sure. Um, she also talks about how quickly the Tuskless – or she, she has problems with the fact that um, – you know some plot mm-hmm. points and the things between Tusk and and Raymond or uh, Francis was uh, unrealistic. But I felt like I was kind of worried about that too in the early going. But it felt like a prize, a heavyweight prize fight. Like there was a couple times where I'm thinking Frank's got this guy beat, and then oh shit, how is he going to get? How is he going to get out of it? Yeah, and it just kept going back and forth for every time that Frank had him wriggling in the grasp of something. He had uh, him turning the lights out in the baseball game and yeah. fucking around the power and stuff that's kind of ripped from the headlines anyway. I didn't find that too unrealistic. No, I think her problem was the way that the friendship deteriorated between Tusk and the president so quickly. And I, I felt that too watching it. Well, the like, other thing is, seems... I don't know that these guys were friends. This was always a political marriage and it's a much older Tusk and he's kind of grooming the president and... You know, uh, I felt I like there's a lot. That, there's but... a lot of shades of the president. Like you thought we were friends because you, I had your hand, I had my hand in your pocket, and I did things that I needed to do to get elected. And a lot of you see a lot of this in Frank, how he turns on people to back them once he no longer needs them. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things I got was that the president was a lot more like Frank than he probably would care to admit. I mean, we kind of got uh, we kind of got the idea that he's more idealistic. But honestly, we only saw his kind of public face. We never saw the conversations that he had, you know, amongst himself sure. and his wife. I mean, we know that their marriage was kind of kind of rocky. I don't, I don't know. I guess I never bought them as being that close of friends. Okay. I, I for some reason I did. Okay. I, I thought it was spelled out in the episodes, but perhaps not as clearly as you would have liked. Uh, some questions for you guys. As mentioned before, I really love the character of Janine, the journalist that gets boxed out by the FBI. Where uh-huh. do you guys think her story goes? Do you think it's over with Lucas? Do you think that she's going to... I feel like... What happens at the end? Doesn't she, like, run away? Like, just leave town? I think she just tells she tells uh, Lucas that she can't do it. That she's she doesn't you know the, yeah this and is then too she much. like packs up her shit and leaves and then the hammer comes in so I feel like that season season two and three or season three's got to be about them starting something that eventually brings Frank Underwood down because there's definitely you would hope so they've been trying for two seasons now mm-hmm. so if anybody's gonna do it maybe they could but I don't know it seems like their story has been completely discredited at this point although. Because Rachel were looking, is still out there. That's the that's thing. They've the been looking missing. for Rachel, and Doug is the only thing that kept Rachel out of their grasp, and she's yeah. the thing they need to tie all this stuff together. Yeah. Uh, and she's in the wind. So I feel like that's where that's going. And, and she, it's amazing how far back that reaches, just going yeah. with, with, du- with uh, not Doug, um, Russo. Pete, yeah. Yeah. I that mean, was like episode in two. In that hotel. Maybe even episode one. At the, the meeting they were having or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. She seduced him and got him drunk. And yeah. now it's all snowballed from there. Right. But That's his indiscretion cool. with her set that whole thing up. Yeah. Do you? So she asked us, what do, you, uh, what do you think will become of Rachel and what will be the fallouts of Doug's death? I feel like we kind of talked about that. Because that's another staffer dies, gets beat to death in the cornfield. You know, that's kind of mysterious circumstances already. Sure. Do you think we'll see Freddy, President Walker, Lucas, or the Hammer again? I gotta see Freddy. I don't think we'll see Freddy again. The way they left it, Freddy just told... What if he becomes the White House staff chef? <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen, man. It, why not? Didn't Freddy tell him off at the end? Like, I don't want your money, get out of here, we no, were he never doesn't friends. Want, he, doesn't, he said, well, I never viewed you as anything more than a customer. Oh, man, that was bullshit. He just I said agree, that to protect Frank. I agree, but now is Frank's Frank... president, he can come back and say, "Freddie, wants you to cook your ribs at the White House." And after four years of doing that, you're going to be fucking. You can open a restaurant anywhere. Doesn't yeah. matter how many fuckers you killed or how many got <laughs> how many guns your son's toting around. Sure, sure. Like Freddie's White Freddie's White House. Boom. <laughs> Freddie's White House of Ribs cards <laughs> done. That's that's by the way the name yeah. of your podcast next season. Yep. Uh, president Walker, don't give a fuck. It would be interesting if he's somehow peripherally involved in Frank's downfall. He did. Yeah. Bur- he did burn his resignation letter, though, right? Wait, who burned whose resignation letter? Frank uh, Walker. Frank, as one of his ultimate Thanos scambits, wrote a resignation letter and gave it to the president. Yeah, I believe the and president said, threw if that. If I betray you, yeah, he yeah. did burn it up. Okay, he did. Uh, but he still all got that knowledge. And hindsight being twenty twenty, a couple weeks out in the office or out of the Oval Office, I think he's going to be like, "Son of a bitch!" Yeah, yeah. So uh, sure, he's going to team up with Rachel, and they're going to bring down the president. <laughs> uh, well, we, and we've already talked about Luke. I don't really want to see Lucas, but no. I do want to see the hammer. Sure. Do you think Lucas will be freed from prison after the result of this investigation? No. Okay. Do you think that the Tuskless Raymond and Francis feud now being over is now over? Will the Tuskless Raymond seek revenge after his pardon, assuming Frank even pardons him? I think it's over. I think that character served his purpose. Need, um, need, needing the pardon is a pretty big, eh. you know, sword to hold over somebody. Because you could, I don't know what all you can do with a pardon. Can you make it conditional? Like a kind of like a, a I mean, he's a, taken a into custody. Settlement? He's yeah. But a president can make all that shit go away. Yeah, yeah, he can. But but I've heard would he? he would I, need. I've heard in like certain spy. I mean, that was a plot point in one of the Tom Clancy books that one of the presidents wrote like a blank presidential pardon 
and he gave him the, the particular CIA operative <laughs> to keep in a safe in wow. case he ever got busted for anything. Mm-hmm. And like, is that legal? Can you like fucking write a, a blank presidential pardon? Like, what if he later steals a nuclear warhead and blows up yeah. San Francisco? That's a license to do anything. Yeah, and 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 as a constitutional rule, you are free from prosecution at that point. Yeah. So I don't know what the limits of can I, you can you make a sealed pardon? Well, like no one knows the details of, and like if this guy blabs or takes you to court or, or violates in some way. Well, that's the, the president- thing. You're you're saying can you? I think in that case he definitely did. Yeah, you're saying how you're asking Was how binding it is. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? I why just, would it be any less? It's like the old Nixon thing, where it's like I'm the president, so of course what anything I do is legal because I am the president. Like that's not right. No, of course not, <laughs> because there are laws governing your presidency. Um. The, the the issue would become, like, is there a law that says a presidential pardon becomes null under certain circumstances? Because mm. if there aren't, and the presidential pardon overrides everything, I would think that would work. All right. Uh, I just need to get my hands on one of those. I'd, no kidding. That would be a little... <laughs> that'd be nice to have in your back pocket, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd probably use it on, like, I got pulled over for speeding or something. <laughs> Whip out my presidential pardon. <laughs> Boom. Uh, Emil F or Mila F says one thing I had the biggest problem with in season two is the death of Zoe. And in your quick summary cast, no one mentioned the fact that they have all this video footage of the subway system, but no one thought they showed it, didn't they? But no one thought to see what she did building up to the leap off the ledge. Mm -hmm. Lucas knew she wasn't suicidal and there was surely a foul play of foot. So if he just rewound a bit and looked at the footage from a couple minutes prior to the jump, I swear we talked about this. They would have seen her come down the subway area, look around for a while as if looking at someone, walk over to the construction zone, then stand there for a few minutes talking, obviously appear to be talking to someone, then pulling her phone out to do a couple things on it. If they'd seen all that, they may rewind a bit more to see... Well, did anyone else walk over there? Oh, here's this odd-looking gentleman with a full trench coat and a big hat. Mm-hmm. Who could that be? Pretty shoddy investigating, I feel like, is the biggest gaping hole of the season. Um, Come on, we talked about this, certainly, right? I feel like that Frank, the, the idea is that Frank is smart enough that he could have approached this spot without being seen. And he knew what was going to be on. And and also, at the end, you've got a girl who's sitting there at a platform. She fiddles with her phone. She talks to herself. And she jumps in front of a train. Mm-hmm. How does any of that contradict the official story? And knowing what everyone knows right at this point, how would jumping to be like Frank Underwood killed her? How would that possibly make sure. sense? You, you couldn't make that leap. Especially since she now – the biggest thing is her deleting her phone – what we know at the iClouds, that is preposterous. <laughs> uh, a a court order could have easily gone through and gotten the photos and gotten all gotten the text mm-hmm. messages and the call logs and all that stuff. Like if you wanted to sure. pull at a thread, that's probably the thread. But clearly, the show wants us to believe that this was the perfect murder. Yep. And sometimes you just got to roll with it or just decide, no, nah, I'm not going to watch this show. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ben says, awesome show. I love political dramas. Do you know of any other shows like this? I would guess it suits Mad Men. The West Wing would be similar. I would like to hear some suggestions. If you binge instant casts uh, or binge watch instant casts for another show, I could get behind it. Mad Men is not like this show. Uh, It has moments that are similar. But if you're going into Mad Men thinking I'm watching House of Cards uh, from the 60s, no. No, it's not. The West Wing is... A much more idealistic and tame version of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newsroom has got a little bit of this. Uh, you know, scheming of power yeah. and the intersection of politics and reporting. Um, the Wire. <laughs> there you go. If you're not looking for, like, government politics stuff. Well, no. and I, I feel like in season three, four, and five, that's a big part of the show. Not so much in season one and two. It's most about street crime and yeah, you know, yeah. and and uh, organized mm-hmm. crime. But once you get into season three and you got the Carsetti, uh, if you, have you seen Game of Thrones? There you go. Game of Thrones makes House of Cards look like kitten kisses and rainbows, man. <laughs> I mean, talking about some political, but it's a lot of political intrigue and drama mm-hmm. with uh, blood and tits thrown in. I, I, I don't. Yeah, th- this is not a huge. There's not a vast, ta- you know, untapped well of political drama in in America to mind that I'm aware of anyway. 
You'll watch the Tom Clancy movies, I guess. That, nah, I wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> um, There's been a theory for season three staffing. Doug has been, uh, or here's a theory for season three staffing. Doug has been Frank's chief of staff for a, la- for a long while. When Seth tries to move up the ladder, Doug tells him vertical climb is a limit with the Underwoods, and I'm the limit. He's gone, so he's taking whatever do- uh, job Doug would have had, the chief of staff. Um, that is a pretty solid theory. I would say that that's kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, he's not, none of these, none of the people that the Underwoods had working for them are as, as a Doug Stamper though. No, no, I don't think any of them are going to be as loyal as Doug was. And you're, you're getting dumped into a situation where all this stuff that happened pre-presidential run is about to explode and damage mm-hmm. control is going to be important. I, I wonder how how well they're going to be able to handle that or if they're even going to want, want any part of it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Get Linda in there. She seemed to know her shit. There you go. Dra- tap her. Yeah. Uh, Matthias from Germany says, thanks so much for your awesome podcast. Here's my feedback. Your effort to be the very first on, this is by the way, we're moving into now structural okay. discussions of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you don't care about the actual podcast itself and just a discussion to show, you can flip off now. It says your effort to be the very first to publish discussion of the new episodes by doing this house of card marathon is very much appreciated. You should definitely do that again. Even if for next season you stretch it out over several days, you'll still be the first and maybe not so tired. Much respect to Aaron for calling so many things in advance. Gavin cooperating with the FBI, the Meacham threesome, Doug's death. I think for the instant cast, recapping the episode along with the different threads worked really well. But I think for the long versions, you should stick to the scene-by-scene review. Otherwise, too many things might get lost. Um, so here's the thing. The House of Cards is kind of what helped us flesh out the whole half-assed podcast idea. Mm-hmm which we used for Fargo or using for the following. And we really enjoy it because a lot of people like the full recap and the full recap is certainly useful. It's much more easy to go back. And like, if you're listening to back catalog stuff, like say you want to go back and listen to season one house of cards, it's much harder to follow the instant slash half-assed cast. than it is a scene by scene recap. Cause it's basically, if you've seen it, you're like, Oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, I remember. But the problem is if we do an instant take, a true instant take, it's just basically you and I talking about what we thought of the episode and what we liked with almost no real critical analysis. Yeah. What we ran into and the reason why we kind of stalled out so much on the full cast is that we did a lot of analysis and critique to the point to where like, man, if we do full cast, it's just going to feel like a tedious recap. Yeah, it's very redundant in my opinion. And if it's boring to us, it's probably going to be boring to the listener, and we're not going to have our heart into it. And by the time we wrestled with this, then months had gone by, and then nobody gave a shit anymore. Yep. So let's read and let's let's do another take. Before he said he also had a comment on the authenticity of the hacker culture portrayed in the Gavin plotline, which <laughs> you and I lampooned a lot. Sure. He put in a a link from The Guardian, which was written by a man named Greg Hausch, who has done a documentary on we are, uh, called We Are Legion about the anonymous culture on 4chan, um, and he's notable for writing and other technical things. He was the technical advisor, and I feel like I came away with a slightly new appreciation for what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he had much control over the technical bits other than a couple of buzzwords that got mentioned but I do feel like he did a pretty good job at establishing what it would feel like to be a hacker that's trapped in working for the FBI or betraying yeah. your friends or being that paranoid all the time. Um, so if, I'm going to link that in the show notes as well if you care to give that a, a, a watch. Uh, last take, Justin from OKC said, I rarely send feedback about podcasts, and I listen to a ton of them. But in this situation is very well deserved. Your House of Cards Instant Take Marathon was truly remarkable and nearly flawless. First off, you guys were the only podcast with quality content for the second season so quickly, which, like you said, was a flag on the moon moment in the entertainment podcast community. You two were also strangely in sync with my watching schedule. I could simply refresh the RSS feed after an episode, and like clockwork, the latest Instant Take was ready to download. (laughs) Sure, the Instant Take from Chapter 24 is a little lackluster comparatively, but it was also hilarious. Most likely because I and many others were just as burnt out and equally sharing in your delirium. By the end of the night, I felt high on paint fumes. But then again, I probably just needed a fan in the room after painting all those miniature Civil War figures. 
I really liked a threaded type of narrative on these instant take casts. Instead of discussing them scene by scene, I felt appropriate for a show like this with so many story arcs and plot points that develop on different fonts fronts. Uh, thanks, Justin. And thanks to everyone that sent in feedback. We got quite a bit more feedback on the format that we didn't read because this was kind of the majority of the points. And what do we want to talk about? I mean, what do we want to say? I don't think I want to make any promises for next year, except for I, it's very unlikely we'll do full podcast next year. And it's very unlikely we'll do a 24 seven marathon next year either. Yeah. I, I think he's right. There's something to be said for, uh, I don't know if it's quite a flag on the moon moment, but the idea of having them all just dump out day one, that gives everyone the opportunity if they're so inclined to go listen to the podcast after they watch an episode. And wherever you're at, yeah. you're going to be ready to jump in at any point. And exactly. I, I liked it as a I liked it as a stunt. I liked it as a endurance thing. Mm-hmm. I liked just the, the fun of like, you know, doing a thing posting, doing a thing posting and like having people like I felt like I was running a marathon. People on Facebook were like handing me Gatorade and and uh sure. wet, you know, wet paper towels or whatever. <laughs> throwing them at you throwing them at me <laughs> sticking them to your forehead as you're running uh the weakness the, can we talk about the, the behi- trouble is yeah let's talk a little behind the scenes we get we got this valley effect where we had a lot of people download the first episode a lot of people download the last episode and not so many in the middle it, it's it was, like it's like an inverse bell curve yeah look at it like a suspension bridge a suspension bridge and take the middle section and boom there there's our traffic pattern yeah so now, I also have some data points for another Netflix series yeah. that dropped Orange and the New Black, where mm-hmm. I did a week by week full podcast, full recap with a rotating list of female podcasters, all star female podcasters. And it's been successful to a point like that shows popularity and interest peak somewhere around week six and seven. And then has kind of been flat to stagnant. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's just a symptom of. That show came out two months ago at this point, and we still have another episode or two to go over, and there's a lot of people that just, you know, life moves on. The Everybody's fo- seen it, and they're over it, yeah. Yeah, or, in, in, you know, um, definitely had a smoother arc, but it didn't have the high highs and certainly not the low lows. Mm-hmm. We're wondering, you and I, if there's some way to blend that. Like, could we do um, a podcast every day? Sure. Can we batch this up and do like four at once and then release them every day? There's a couple advantages to that. Number one, with 13 episodes, two weeks, and it's done. It's all done. And for all but the most hardcore people, that's going to probably keep pace with their viewing habits. Yeah, that's the thing. When I think of how people probably watch this, it's probably one, maybe two per night. Yeah. Throughout the week. Because, uh, you know, the excitement is high. You might burn. But people have real shit to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we can kind of match that, maybe releasing one every day or maybe like three or four a week, um, that puts us like two or three weeks out by the time we're done with it. The excitement is still there. We haven't lost it two and a half months after the fact. Right. Seems like that's the way to go, and we might experiment with that. But then the trouble is we've we've experimented with several different types and ways of doing this. But we don't have any history with it, so we can't have we don't have a baseline to compare like our experiments with. Well, I mean, so next year will be the first one if we do experiment. But we it's can... not right. We'll we'll like we'll we'll have all these different usage patterns and release patterns, but none of them the same on two different shows. So we don't know like if relative audience for each show is different to the point where it changes the pattern, or if it's the actual release schedule that changes the pattern. And the thing is, no matter what you do, there's proponents. Like, there's a huge fans of the way I'm doing stuff on Orange and New Black. There's a lot of people saying I, that's the perfect sure. pace. Yeah, yeah. Alan Sepinall's doing two a week, and then he finally got to the last week, and I think he did four because he was feeling the same thing, interest slipping, interest waning. Yeah. There's got to be a sweet spot between – because I'm more than willing to do the marathon. It's attractive because we spend one weekend, and it's done. Sure. It's done. It's it's and, – and there's very few times we get to time shift stuff like that where mm-hmm. we can just – Put a bunch of body of work out and get that done and and throw that, you know, 13 hours of content out for people to enjoy and we're done with it. So when we do, do get those ad- advantages, like with Orange and the New Black with, with House of Cards, it would be nice to somehow take advantage of them. Yeah. But on the other hand, if it leads to the va- – and I know there's a lot of people that listen to every single one 
Um, but clearly this traffic stands for what it is. Like it's, it's much, much more that people watch the first and last. It feels like that, that sort of, uh, event psychology, like it's an event every week where people will tune in and listen to the podcast because that's a thing that's going on this week only. Right. Yeah. Whereas when we release everything up front, well, it's there. You would think people would just, after they watch an episode, go tune into the podcast. But they don't. No. I mean, it's very obvious by the traffic they don't. What happens is, I think, here's what here's my explanation for it. Everyone watches the first one because it's the place to start. And you're, you know, you've watched three or four of the weekend. It's Monday morning. You're commuting. And yeah, yeah. then, yep. then the next day they might, they're like, oh, I don't have time to listen to these. So I'm just going to stop. I'm going to go with where I stopped that. Cause that's fresh in my memory. Sure. And so listen to episode, like episode four. five or something. But everyone's yeah. different. Some people watch three, some people watch six, some people watch seven in the batch. And that explains the disparity in the, the middle parts because everybody's sure. So you, you know, cut a third of the traffic off every single episode. Exactly. And then at the end, everybody watches the end cause it's the wrap up. It's the one where we talk about kind of the whole theme and all that. Yeah. The other track, the other thing I don't like about and the instant that's cast, a stopping point for everyone. Sure. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, the other thing I don't like about the instant cast is format for the, the marathon is it completely precludes feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Now it, if we, if I could do this all over again, um, I would do the marathon and then the next week I would do a mega feedback cast like we're doing this and actually publish and say that everybody gets feedback in. But then how much feedback would we really get? I imagine because not a ton because this, this, the dates on this was everywhere from Feb- middle of February to the end of April. Yeah. And if I just drew an arbitrary line and said, well, we're going to do it next week, we would have probably gotten three or four messages. Yeah. So if we did it on a daily basis, I, you know, if we had a if we average an episode a day or every other day, I can't tell if we would get a lot more feedback. We'd probably get a lot more feedback about the early goings of the show, mm-hmm. which unfortunately for this one is the less interesting parts of it. Sure, I imagine most people don't get through this thing in less than a week. So, as you can tell, it's something we're kind of <laughs> wrestling with. We don't have the answers. No one does. Everyone's kind of trying to struggle to figure out the best way. Because at the end of the day, we're just trying to figure out the best way to cover this in a fashion that y'all like mm-hmm. and that people actually listen to. Yep. Uh, so it's worth our time, worth your time. Um, sure. And if you guys have any ideas, I know we solicited this in, in one of our other podcasts, but I figure, you know, on the House of Cards podcast is a good place to do it. Uh, send us some suggestions the- for how you might like to see us cover the next season of House of Cards and really any Netflix show, anything that drops all at once like this. Yeah. Because there's gonna, it's gonna happen more and more in the future. Mm-hmm. So um, that's all I got, man. Uh, if you'd like to give us feedback, uh, we'll be back the week before whatever that is. Don't know, but I imagine we'll be back the week before the the next season drops to do a preview to kind of sure. get the feed pumped up. Uh, if you'd like to send feedback for that, do so at House of Cards at Baldmove dot com, or if you'd like to send feedback. About how we did it, um, you know, hopefully, I, I, I guarantee we'll get some people disappointed we're not doing the full casts, but there's nothing I can do about that. It's way too long. That ship has already <laughs> sailed. So sure. beat us up if you'd like. Um, but uh, for, you know, forward looking for what you'd like to see us do next time, if you guys are really big fans of the the marathon, I mean, that you know, ultimately people being passionate about stuff is just as important as the numbers, too. So we take all that into account. Uh, do that at ball or house of cards at baldmove.com. You can follow uh, always us on facebook.com slash baldmove. Tweet your thoughts at Jim at Twitter. Uh, if you, it's been a while and you're not aware of it, we went full time uh, in our podcasting this year and we've done so much content, you guys. Tons. Game, G- Jim joined me for Game of Thrones. We got Fargo, which was amazing. Yeah. We're on the finale episode of The Leftovers this week. I've had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we did a, a house or sorry, uh, Orange is the New Black podcast, a True Blood podcast, a twenty four ridiculous twenty four <laughs> podcast. Uh, I'm yep. not even thinking of all the stuff we did because I know we were doing like five and six podcasts at some point in the spring. We got a we TV got podcast, TV going uh, back in style where we're talking the bridge, we talked strain, we talked masters of sex, we're talking. We've done a falling whole, skies, a whole bunch of community commissioned podcasts. Yeah, you can go uh, to subable.com slash bald move. 
And at a certain reward level, you can make us do a podcast on any two hours of television or movie. And we've had a lot of fun doing that. Had a lot of participation there. Excellent way to support us. Getting ready to start a Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire is super excited. Yeah. Walking Dead's coming back. It's going to be another primetime season for Bald Move. So join us for that. Don't sit on the sidelines. And if not, we will definitely see you late winter for House of Cards. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. The downfall of Frank Underwood. Or maybe... Or maybe the triumph. Or maybe the <laughs> uh, the Imperial March Could be. of the House of Underwood. Could we'll be. have to see. Whatever it is, we're going to cover it. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye. Bye.